Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. Today in our feature, Beth Edwards from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about changes in snowfall amounts in the state. That's coming up later in the program. But first, your environmental headlines. The Sargasso Sea in the heart of the Bermuda Triangle is a massive ocean ecosystem with floating forests of gold seaweed called sargassum that harbor creatures existing nowhere else on the planet. The floating forests are crucial safe haven for baby sea turtles and other marine life vulnerable to predators. One of the main threats facing the Sargasso Sea is plastic debris. Greenpeace researchers found extreme concentrations of microplastic in the sea. One sample turned up 1,300 pieces of microplastic, which are greater than the levels found in the notorious Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is now estimated to be twice the size of France. Infrared analysis revealed that the plastic pollution in the Sargasso Sea originates from single-use plastic bottles and plastic packaging. Protection of the Sargasso Sea, which lies mostly in international waters, would require a new international ocean treaty. Such a treaty would obviate another problem, the destruction of huge swaths of sargassum by shipping freighters destroying habitats in their wake. According to a new survey by the Pew Research Center, Americans' policy priorities have changed in recent years. Environmental protection and global climate change are rising on the public's agenda for the President and Congress. For the first time in Pew surveys over the last two decades, almost as many Americans say protecting the environment should be a top policy priority, 64%, as say that about strengthening the economy, 67%. Three years ago, 68% indicated jobs were a top priority as compared with only 38% who said it was climate change. Though environmental concerns have increased overall, it remains a partisan issue. Since 2017, nearly all the increase in the share of Americans saying global climate change should be a top priority has come from Democrats. However, members of both parties are more likely to name protecting the environment a top priority than did so last year. The environment is a top priority for 77% of adults aged 18 to 29. To enable construction of his border wall, President Trump has ordered the blowing up of the Organ Pipe Cactus National Monument in Arizona. Contractors working for his administration are using explosives to destroy a mountain on protected lands. The monument is part of the Sonoran Desert Wilderness, long heralded as one of our nation's most significant ecological treasures. The area is of deep spiritual importance also to multiple Native American groups. 
U.S. Customs and Border Protection confirmed that the explosions are, quote, targeted and will continue intermittently for the rest of the month, end quote. The agency said it will have an environmental monitor present, but Representative Raul Grijalva, chair of the House Committee on Natural Resources, believes that the monitor's presence will make no difference. Meanwhile, the construction process has dug up iconic sahur cacti and sliced them into chunks. Construction crews have bulldozed a wide roadway to allow the passage of trucks, cranes, and other construction equipment. A very recent report in Science Advances updates long-term effects of the Deepwater Horizon explosion in the spring of 2010. That explosion meant oil poured into the Gulf of Mexico for nearly three months straight, resulting in the worst offshore oil spill in U.S. history. More than 200 million gallons of light crude flowed into the sea, devastating marine life and fisheries. These new findings showed a much wider extent of the spill beyond the satellite footprint, reaching the West Florida Shelf, the Texas Shores, the Florida Keys, and along the Gulf Stream toward the East Florida Shelf. The study from researchers at the University of Miami now concludes that exposure to the oil caused a wide range of adverse health effects in marine mammals. This included reproductive failure and organ damage. Animals killed by these adverse effects contributed to the largest and longest marine mammal unusual mortality event ever recorded in the Gulf of Mexico. The researchers also found that fisheries closed by federal and state agencies after the spill only accounted for about 70% of the actual extent of the toxicity that emanated from the drilling platform. The closures were based on satellite images of so-called surface slick the visible oil on the surface of the water. This metric was ultimately not sensitive enough to capture lower concentrations of oil that nevertheless were still harmful to animals. Quote, It's a pretty interesting finding, and it shows that the surface slick is not a sufficient indicator of the real footprint of where the damage is occurring, end quote, said Cameron Ainsworth, a fisheries oceanographer at the University of South Florida who was not involved in the study but has collaborated with its authors on related research. President Trump has unveiled his budget proposal for the next federal fiscal year and is predictably harsh for wildlife and environment, hey, but great for oil, gas, and coal. Of course, the annual presidential budget is more of an example of his priorities than anything else. The real budget each year comes from Congress, which might or might not take up the president's suggestions. Here's what is found in this year's budget. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's EPA budget would be slashed 27%, including a 10% reduction in the Superfund Hazardous Waste Cleanup Program, a nearly 50% reduction in research and development. Air quality would be slashed by nearly $400 million, and the elimination of 50 programs that the administration perceives as outside the core of the EPA's mission would occur. It would also reduce EPA staffing to its lowest levels in three decades, further hampering enforcement of existing regulations. The Department of the Interior would lose 8% of its budget, including $600 million from the National Park Service and $80 million from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. 
That includes an $11 million reduction in the Endangered Species Act listing program, which evaluates species for their extinction risk. The Department of Energy's Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy funding would be cut by 74%. In a national effort to fight climate change, student governments nationwide are calling for their universities to stop investments in the fossil fuel industry. The Association of Big Ten Students, which represents over 500,000 undergraduate students across the Big Ten Conference, unanimously passed a resolution last month for their schools to stop investing in oil, coal, and gas companies. Both Indiana University and Purdue were signers of the resolution. The resolution stated that the crisis of climate change threatens the lives of both future and current generations and demands concerted and widespread action from society's leaders. The University of Michigan Ann Arbor instigated the resolution after the city of Ann Arbor declared a climate emergency in November. Declaring a climate emergency means that not enough is being done to address climate change and gives entities more power to help with the issue. The University of Minnesota implemented a plan 10 years ago to reduce carbon emissions by 50% by the end of the year and offset 100% of emissions by 2050. Students at more than 50 college campuses across the nation participated in rallies, sit-ins, and other direct action to urge their schools to divest from fossil fuels as part of Global Divestment Day, which was February the 13th. Students decided to not hold a divestment demonstration at Purdue, partly because the administration hasn't even started on campus carbon neutrality, said Mason Merkel, a sophomore in the College of Engineering and a member of the Purdue Student Sustainability Council. Quote, the disappointing fact is that Purdue is one of the three Big Ten schools who has not even gotten the ball rolling on carbon neutrality, end quote, Merkel said. He said for Purdue to truly divest from fossil fuels, it will have to stop investing in the Wade Utility Plant and getting electricity from Duke Energy, a major utility company in Indiana. To promote collaborative research and inform water stakeholders throughout the state, an Indiana University research team has recreated the Future Water Science Gateway, a public interactive data portal that shows users a highly detailed model of the Wabash River Basin under a number of different climate scenarios. The project is an initiative of IU's Environmental Resilience Institute to provide Indiana with accurate predictions that help the state prepare for changes that will affect Hoosiers' health and livelihoods. Within the Science Gateway website, users can drill down to views forecasts for smaller-scale watersheds at multiple future time periods and under different global carbon emission scenarios to see projected changes in precipitation, soil and waterways. Results are available as maps and graphs. Data are available to download, giving researchers the opportunity to conduct their own analysis, update the existing model, or run entirely new models. Beyond water management, future water research data could help advance solutions in agriculture, wastewater treatment, land use, and species migration, among other applications. IU professor Chen Xu led the project. Quote, we're giving everyone the opportunity to build on our work and address pressing problems in water and land management. 
We want to prepare Indiana for environmental change. We hope that experts and government leaders in the state will use these data as a resource to plan for the future. End quote. Indiana climate scientists have already projected that the state is likely to experience more hot days, wetter springs and winters, and more extreme rain events as a result of climate change. How these conditions translate to water supplies on the ground, however, is not as well understood. The Indiana Natural Resources Commission, NRC, recently approved the creation of a new nature preserve, Potoka Hills Nature Preserve in Crawford County. The new 27-acre nature preserve contains one of Indiana's finest paleontological sites and consists of predominantly upland forests with smaller early successional areas and tree plantings. It features dramatic limestone outcrops and a small but highly significant cave. Since 1987, the Indiana State Museum has been excavating that cave and gaining information on Indiana's past climate, plants, and animals during the latter part of the Ice Age. In addition, many noteworthy animal and plant species are found in Potoka Hills, a cave-adapted springtail insect and a cave millipede, both of which lack eyes and pigmentation and are rare worldwide. Noteworthy plant species at Potoka Hills includes two state endangered plants. The preserve is owned and managed by the Division of State Parks. In other action recently, the NRC added ruffed grouse to the list of state endangered species of birds. Historically, ruffed grouse probably existed throughout Indiana. Populations have steadily declined and are now at less than 1% of the levels observed in the 1980s. Adding rough grouse to the state endangered species list will require environmental reviews in forested environments to consider the impacts on this species. Allowing rough grouse to become totally extirpated from Indiana would, quote, indicate a failure to act as stewards for this species and require expensive restoration efforts that would be unlikely to succeed without the pressing habitat management, end quote, DNR said. The DNR has claimed that logging of state forests was key to rough grouse populations. They said that rough grouse need early growth conditions to provide cover for grouse. The DNR has used this argument to justify logging for at least a decade. While this is a true requirement for grouse habitat, the DNR has never acknowledged that the real reason for the loss of the grouse is the climate is now too warm for grouse. The grouse have moved north. The Amazon Reef off the coast of French Guiana is an exciting new discovery that has only just begun to be understood. It has a great wealth of marine biodiversity and is threatened by oil production. For the first time, scientists have confirmed that the area isn't only a migratory route for humpback and tropical whales, but is a breeding ground for other marine wildlife. Also for the first time, silky sharks and melonhead dolphins have been filmed in their native environment. In an expedition led by Greenpeace and the French National Center for Scientific Research, six professional deep divers completed the first ever dives to document the Amazon reef with high-resolution images and to collect biological samples to better understand that threatened ecosystem. One of the divers observed, quote, This is a haven of life, a treasure of biodiversity, explored for the first time by humans and whose mystery is only just being revealed, end quote. 
And now for our feature, we will hear Beth Edwards from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about how changes in snowfall amounts in the state. The rate at which snow has fallen in the United States has changed significantly over the last 50 years, according to a new report. Those changes have forced Hoosiers to adapt to a change in climate over decades. The Climate Central report collected 50 years of snowfall data from 145 locations across the U.S. and found that snowfall rates had changed in all monitored areas, especially in the fall and spring. This is Climate Central meteorologist Sean Sublett. What this does tell us is that climate change is a thing and it's already happening. This isn't something that's going to be coming down the road. This isn't something that's 10 or 20 years down the road. It is here. The report points to an overall decrease in snowfall across the state over the last 50 years, with the most extreme changes coming in the northern and southern parts of the state. Snowfall in Evansville has decreased about 42 percent, while South Bend has experienced a 21 percent decrease. In central Indiana, the change has not been quite so severe. According to the report, Indianapolis has experienced an overall snowfall decrease of nearly 8.5 percent. The decrease in snowfall has occurred in specific parts of the year. In general, we're seeing less snow coming down in what's nicknamed the shoulder seasons, fall and spring. You know, there's always going to be some snow in the fall and some snow in the spring, but we're tending to see a little bit less of that over the last 50 years. The central region of the U.S., which includes Indiana, saw snowfall decrease by 74% in the fall and 77% in the spring. The six Indiana cities included in the report averaged a decrease of 1.85 inches of snowfall in the fall months compared to 50 years ago. Data points to a decrease of 4.5 inches of fall snow in South Bend, a 2.3-inch fall decrease in Fort Wayne, and a 1.5-inch fall decrease in Indianapolis. Evansville, Lafayette, and Terre Haute averaged around one inch or less of snowfall during the fall months. Data collected from Hoosier cities points to an even larger snowfall decrease in the spring. The six cities averaged around 3.3 inches less snow during the spring. South Bend had about 8.8 fewer inches of snowfall during the spring than it did 50 years ago. Evansville about 4 inches, Terre Haute 3.5 inches, Fort Wayne about 2 inches, and Lafayette nearly an inch. Indianapolis bucked the trend with an overall increase of 0.7 inches of spring snow over the last 50 years. So then I looked at the core of winter, December, January, February, right? It's a much more mixed signal across the country. All right, so if, if we think specifically to central Indiana, the signal is not nearly as strong one way or the other. Now, there are some places where you do see a little more signal. Let's say the dead of winter, a little bit north and west of, uh, of the Hoosier State. According to the report, five out of six Indiana cities saw a decrease in winter snowfall. Terre Haute had the largest decrease with 10.8 fewer inches of snow during the winter over 50 years followed by South Bend with about seven fewer inches, and Evansville with four fewer inches. Lafayette and Indianapolis both had two fewer inches of snow in the last 50 years. Fort Wayne is experiencing 2.3 more inches of snowfall during the winter than it did 50 years ago. The change in snowfall rates affects the lives and livelihood of Hoosiers across the state. You've got to think about you know, people who are, are farmers. You know, how are they going to plan uh, in terms of their crops. If you've got less snow on the ground, 
all right? Snow is actually a good insulator for soil. So during the dead of winter, if you have some more snow on the ground, that kind of keeps your ground from drying out as much. And then if you have a nice gentle snow melt going in the spring, that's really beneficial to your soil and makes for a better environment for your crops. So if you start having less snow, you're going to have drier soils, soils that erode a little bit more. Indiana weather has greatly affected the agriculture output of its top crops. In 2019, heavy spring rain limited the state's harvested corn acreage due to the lowest levels in nearly 40 years and reduced soybean production by 20%. Climate change is causing the way precipitation is distributed in Indiana to change. Researchers from the Indiana Climate Change Impacts Assessment found that precipitation levels in Indiana will rise as the climate gets hotter. Climate change is also increasing the state's average annual temperature, which is reducing the chance of extreme cold. Climate change is also increasing rainfall during winter and spring, while reducing rainfall totals. Instead of being spread out throughout the year, the rain will fall in heavy periods, causing heavy flooding. Serious flooding is going to become more of a risk. It's not going to be an everyday thing, but because you have a warming climate, it raises the risks, it raises the likelihood of these extreme events that really affect the livelihoods of people. Officials from around the state have begun preparing their cities for the effects of climate change. In the northern part of the state, communities have adopted some preventative measures to help mitigate the effects of increased flooding. South Bend installed backwater gates to prevent water from the St. Joseph River from backing up into storm sewer pipes, installed real-time river gauges, planned for enhanced communication with residents during flooding events, and are studying a redirection of stormwater pipes to other parts of the sewer system during heavy rains. In central Indiana, Indianapolis city officials have incorporated the likelihood of future flooding events in the city's master plan. The Thrive Indianapolis plan will plan for an average of 6.6 days of heavy precipitation, meaning days with more than 1.25 inches of rain and an annual increase of 7 inches of precipitation. And in the southern part of the state, Evansville recently was approved for more than $182 million in funding from the state of Indiana for its long-term control plan to deal with stormwater overflows during increased periods of heavy rainfall. Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute has also created an online tool, the Hoosier Resilience Index, for communities to gauge what climate change challenges they can expect to face in the future. Another ERR tool, the Environmental Resilience Institute Toolkit, helps community leaders share the information about how they have taken on issues related to climate change. It may not be obvious every single solitary day, but if you look past these last 10 years, and you've seen that the last five years have been the warmest in the global record, back to 1880. Climate change is here. We're going to continue to see the impacts more and more in the coming decades. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli. Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world. 
particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for ECA Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming local events. The Winter Exploration Hike Series continues with a hike in the Blackwell area of Lake Monroe on Wednesday, February the 26th, beginning at 10 a.m. This is an off-trail hike that is exploratory in nature with no set path. Be prepared for rugged terrain and no formal toilet facilities. Sign up at http colon backslash backslash bit dot ly backslash capital W capital E capital H dash FEB 26 dash 20 by February 23rd. A series of open houses are scheduled regarding the current five-year strategic plan for statewide forests in Indiana. The open houses will take place on Wednesday, February 26th and Thursday, February 27th. The Morgan Monroe and Yellowwood State Forest Open House will take place on Wednesday, February 26th at the new Morgan Monroe State Forest Office from 4 to 7 p.m. For more information, call 765-342-4026. On Wednesday, February 26th, Ben Brabson, Professor Emeritus of Physics and Climate Change at IU, will present a program entitled The Summer Winter Problem, Clever Ideas for Storing Energy. The presentation will begin at 6 p.m. at Green Drinks Bloomington in the Banquet Facility at Upland Brewing Company. To learn more about Green Drinks, visit www.green-drinks.org. Sycamore Land Trust Little Hikers will host a Nature's Teas and Treats program on Friday, February 28th from 10 to 11 a.m. at Cedar Crest, located at 4898 East Heritage Woods Road in Bloomington. Many plants in your yard are edible. Learn all about them as you hike the prairie and the woods around Sycamore Land Trust's office. RSVPs are required at http colon slash slash sycamorelandtrust.org slash hike hyphen RSVP. The Hinkle Garten Farmstead Open House is scheduled for Saturday, February 29th from 1 to 4 p.m. You will be experiencing maple syrup season and the sugaring operation. The farmstead is located at 2920 East 10th Street in Bloomington, and it is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Beth Edwards, 
Myself, Juliana Daly, compiled our events calendar. David Lyman wrote the script and Linda Green edited. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Juliana Daly. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.